We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I am your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today managed the Minnesota Twins to their only two World Series championships in 1987 and 1991. The 91 World Series has been voted the greatest of all time, with five one-run games, four games decided on the last play, and three going to extra innings. In Game 7, which Minnesota won one to nothing in 10 innings, he famously said, oh hell, it's only a game, when deciding to leave Jack Morris to pitch the 10th. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Tom Kelly. Tom, welcome. Thanks, uh, and good morning. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, Tom, it's funny, you're, you know, you're, you're obviously so closely identified with Minnesota and the twins. And, and as we'll go through, you, you came up largely through the twins organization and, and even played in the majors with the twins. Um, but you're from New Jersey, but also you were born in Minnesota. So I'd love to kind of hear about that. You're born in Graceville, Minnesota, which is out by the South Dakota border, um, yet raised in Sayreville, New Jersey. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, my, uh, Parents were out in Minnesota, actually in Chicago. The only reason I was born in, born in Graceville was that's the town that had the hospital. My father was pitching uh, they call town ball. Uh, uh, I guess back in the day, uh, it was quite the big deal. So my father was pitched professionally for... Um, New York Giants organization, and uh, after he was told uh, he wasn't good enough, uh, he uh, stayed out here in in Minnesota with my mom, and and uh, uh, he pitched in that uh, town ball, and uh, you'd walk through along the fence line, and uh, there was a uh, uh, pass your hat and uh, people would throw a dime a quarter you know whatever into the hat and so you 
that's how you made your money. <laughs> so you didn't do good. You didn't make too much money out there. But during the day, I guess he uh, worked at a gas station. After I was born out there in Graceville, then uh, a couple months later, uh, they moved back to New Jersey where they both were from uh, uh, Roway. And and you went to St. Mary's High School in Saint Amboy in South Amboy, which which is now closed. Um, yeah, which I noticed. Yeah, um, same high school that twenty years prior, Jack McKeon, Trader Jack, had gone to. He obviously being the uh, manager of the World Series champ Florida Marlins. Uh, did you know Jack at all? I mean, obviously not back oh, then. Yeah. Well, okay. not back then, but uh, I do more now. Uh, but Jack's going strong. Still working, I believe, for the Marlins, I believe. Yeah, and there can't be too many high schools that can boast two World Series champion managers having graduated from there. <laughs> um, and and so you're coming out of St. Mary's, and you get drafted by the Seattle Pilots, who really only existed for a year, and then and then became the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, did had you considered you know going on to play in college, or were you looking to go pro straight away? I know the school down in Texas, it's called Pan American University. I think it's changed names. Um, they wanted me to come down there and play basketball and baseball. Hmm. And we're going to give me a scholarship. So I remember my father had that in his hand. It, it might have got us a few extra dollars here. But uh, <laughs> nothing like they, they receive now, that's for sure. And so you, so you decided to go with the Seattle franchise Correct. and you play in the minors for them for three years you start off in newark and then clinton iowa and then jacksonville um and and i noticed you when you when you get to newark or you know when you start your minor league career you're 17 years old i mean you could barely drive that's all correct the uh newark new york was uh in between syracuse and rochester which were two big uh AAA uh, cities. Uh, fortunately, later on in my career, I got to play for Rochester, and and that was uh, just a wonderful experience playing there. Yeah, and and so you you work your way up. You're playing single A ball, then you play double A ball down in Jacksonville, um, mm -hmm. and then and then what happens? Then you get signed by the Twins organization. Did the did the no, you know, here, here yeah. The pilots had become okay. the Brewers. Here's how here's how that went down. It was uh, in spring training. That's when they switched over to Mil Milwaukee, Seattle, right. and to Milwaukee. They're new and they're just starting out. With uh, they had an A ball and Triple A team. They did not have a Double A franchise. You know, I had played uh, two years of. Uh, a ball and one year at double a um, so i was i probably should have been playing double a again but there was no team and uh and triple a team was uh i wasn't probably ready for the triple a i i could see the writing on the wall because i i didn't play at all i didn't you know Ever played so I, I could see this isn't going to work out. Uh, they let me go, and uh, we wrote letters to 
got back to Jersey. We wrote letters to all the teams, and the Twins were the first ones to call, and they had a spot for me in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I joined that team, and uh, that team went on to win the Southern, I think they called it Southern Association. Really fortunate for me that the Twins uh, gave me an opportunity to continue to play, and and, uh, I I did fairly well that year. So uh, that all worked out. So in in some ways, we we thank the... uh, uh, brewers for letting me go and, and uh, getting me out of there and giving me uh opportunity to get somewhere else. And, and uh, so that all worked out uh, in the long run, but at the time it was a little devastating. <laughs> oh, sure. And, and so now you're in the twins organization and like you said, you're in Charlotte, then you're in Tacoma with the AAA twins mm. or, you know, for basically Where I could run for, uh, I could run for mayor out there and, Tacoma. There's a lot of years there in Tacoma. <laughs> yeah, three years, um, and then, uh, and then, and then, ultimately in '75, you make the major league squad uh, for you know for a good chunk of that season. And I'm curious when you're when you're in Tacoma, like you know during spring training, you, you know the the big club has you, you still have Harmon Killebrew around, Tony Oliva, Rod Carew, Burke Lylevin, Jim Cott. What, you know, what was it like for a young guy? You know, obviously you're just trying to climb the ranks and, you know, at least for the month or so of training camp or, you know, spring training, right. you're around these guys. What was that like? Well, it's, it's a good one. It's, uh, I remember checking into the team hotel and they give me a key to a room and I roomed with uh, Steve Braun. I believe uh, Brawny was a New Jersey guy. Okay. And, uh, as I'm gonna, I got my bags with me, and I'm stepping into the elevator, and the, getting off the elevator, and standing there is Harmon Killebrew. <laughs> I says, "Oh my God, this is uh, you know, now I'm in." Got the deer in the headlight thing, and uh, he put his hand out. He says, "You, you're spring training, you know, and." Uh, and he, you know, got to shake his hand, and, and uh, he introduced himself, and and told who I was, and he's he was uh, just genuinely uh, super super guy, and uh, so he was the first player I I met when I got to the team hotel there in Orlando, but uh, it was quite an experience for me. Yeah. And, around uh, Carew and, and uh, Tony, of course. Of course, I uh, sat over there in the corner. I stayed out of their way for the most part. But that spring training, I remember being, uh, they were calling me uh, Harmon's caddy. So Harmon would play four, five, six innings maybe in spring, and then I would always pick him up. And, and time, Harmon was doing a little outfield work and, and, uh, but I end up going in for Harmon, uh, uh, pretty much, uh, most of the spring training. So, uh, I was his caddy. So, uh, <laughs> after he was done, I, I'd get out there and pick him up, but, uh, That's cool. yeah, it was, uh, 
he said one of the nicest things to me. Uh, I got to play. Uh, oh, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, might have been '75. Or I, I don't remember. Uh, but I had I had a good day over in Bradenton against uh, Pirates, and I remember Steve Blass was pitching, and uh, I got three, four hits that day and hit one over the fence and. And you know you go through the dugout after you hit one, hit a home run, or and get down. And Harmon's sitting there, and he stands up, and he said, "Tommy, that was nice hitting." You know, it, it, he made it sort of special. You know, sure, something I've always remembered. But uh, Harmon was uh, always a class act uh, on the field as well as off. Yeah, and and. Obviously, I want to get to the you know the managing of the twins, but a, a couple couple last questions about your career, your playing career. You 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 come up to the big club in '75. You play a few months. Right. Um, Frank Quillacy is the manager. Obviously, Carew, Lyle Levin, you know guys like that are still on the team. Um, you know, I, I want to just get your your take on that experience, and then and then th- you're you're basically let go. The Orioles sign you. That's when you play in Rochester, like you say. And you have a really productive year in Rochester, but then mm-hmm. you're back in the twin system. And then, right. and, and then when you're back in the twin system, at one point you're a player manager and oh, it, you know, yeah. that seems That's to true. be like, and you're like 27 years old. I mean, you're still a kid right. basically. Yeah. Um, I'd just love to hear like, you know, a couple of thoughts about all of that. And then, and then obviously talk about the managing part. Well, we're probably going to need a few hours. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I got called up to the big leagues uh, when Lyman Bostock, who was a terrific player, yeah, he uh, crashed into the wall and got hurt, hurt, and so brought me up. Problem was, I, I didn't hit enough, and uh, the team wasn't very good, and uh, we were uh, struggling, and so I got sent back to Tacoma. Eventually, and uh, then the following year, I uh, the Twins in spring training, uh, they loaned me out to the Orioles, and uh, the Orioles needed uh, an outfielder type guy, and, and uh, so the Twins moved, uh, sent me to uh, Rochester to play in '76, which was uh, really turned out being great. Uh, a terrific ball club, uh, Dennis Martinez, uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, Richard Eddie Dower. Uh, there was uh, that team was really loaded uh, with uh, players, and and actually Eddie Murray yep. uh, came up uh, through the system, and he joined the club like halfway through uh, the season, uh, and uh, the. Uh, I always, uh, every time I saw Eddie, I always uh, reminded him that I hit more home runs than he did in Rochester that season. <laughs> then we get to the point where he only played half the season, but uh, <laughs> uh, that was quite a team, and, and the people, the fans were just terrific. Every night, the place was pretty much full, and 
always had a big rivalry with uh, Syracuse, the Yankees, and I remember Bobby Cox was the manager there, and uh, we we were familiar with him. Uh, and uh, so uh, then I think I ended up back in Tacoma the following year, and unfortunately they uh, towards the end of the year, maybe the two-thirds or whatever it was, get a phone call to go, uh, the manager wants to see me, so I figure, well, I must be, they're going to maybe let me go and say that's enough. Or I didn't know what was happening. I didn't think I'd be going the big leagues or anything, and, and uh, but who knows. And so I go down, and, and Del Wilbur was the manager, old baseball guy, and we had a fairly young team, and uh, home of that year, I was one of the older ones, and uh, Dell says to me, he says, "Listen, uh, I'm going home. I've had enough, and and uh, you're going to manage the team for a week or so, and." Uh, then they're going to bring somebody in and, and manage, uh, take over. But so I uh, ended up talking with the farm director, uh, Mr. George Brophy, and he call he says to me, just run the team a couple days. We'll get somebody in there. So, okay. So those couple days turned into the end of the season, you know, still managing. They never did bring anybody in and, I remember we did fairly well. We had uh, the younger guys started playing better, and, and uh, we were competitive. And, and uh, I remember being way down in the standings. And our division, we had, I think there was four teams, five teams. I'm not. But uh, we went from like last to right in it uh, within a game or two. But we never could get over the hump to to uh, win the division. But uh, uh, it sure ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, those last couple months of the season went by very quickly. But I'm trying to play right field and manage a team from right field. So that was entertaining. Uh, yeah, and I it's thought this about is, it for a while. And this and, is AAA uh, ball. And you're only 26 correct. years old. You're like turning 27. You're managing a AAA team and playing. That's yeah, and you managed over 50 games. You were 28 and 26. I mean, that's mm-hmm. amazing. We we yeah, it was it was a challenge. Uh, then I, I I don't know halfway through that uh, I I would play somebody else in the outfield and and I'd stay on the bench and coach third and and uh, try to run the uh, show and have to go pinch hit myself or somebody if I thought it was necessary. But uh, uh, it was uh, quite an experience. And, and the guys really, I thought, responded well, the younger players. So I, I, I enjoyed that. But uh, that winter after that s- uh, season was over, they asked me if I wanted to manage or play. And I had done fairly well the last month of the season. I think I had 20-some RBIs in the last month or something or other. And uh, I still thought I could play, you know, and I didn't want to let go of uh, dream of playing in the big leagues. And uh, sure. 
and stupidly I decided to play again. And um, as I thought back at it, uh, uh, probably should have started managing that that year. But I was a dumb dumb and and played another year. And uh, uh, after that season, uh, it was, it was, I had been getting a lot of headaches and different eyes were acting up and I went to the eye doctor and and uh he said to me he says what'd you hit this year I says uh I think it was 252 or something like that and I told him like 280 something (laughs) (laughs) I had trouble spitting out 250 but uh uh he he said you're lucky you hit 50 he said your eyes are terrible I had enough of the playing, and uh, the Twins still had a position for me as a minor league manager in uh, Visalia, California, and so we uh, took on that task. And it's kind of cool how it plays out. So you manage a couple years of single-A ball in Visalia, a couple years of double-A ball in Orlando, and you start to, all of a sudden, you're managing the guys who would then become the nucleus of your, yeah. your well, certainly your first World Series team, all of a sudden it's Randy Bush, Gary Gaetti, Tim Laudner, Frank Viola, and then you're brought up. You're brought up to the big club as a coach under first Billy Gardner and then Ray Miller, where you're the third base coach. Correct. And the team, the year before you are brought up, they lose over a hundred games. Your right. first year there, they 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 improve by ten games, but they're still seventy and ninety two. Um, but again, all these young guys now, Herbeck is there and, and, um, Bernanski has been brought in. Um, and I'm, so I'm curious a little bit, you know, what was it like all of a sudden, you know, being a coach at that point at the, uh, major- that was, uh, that was interesting. Uh, I was coaching third for Billy Gardner, as you've said, and then, uh, Billy got let go and they brought in, uh, Ray Miller. And, yep. and Ray was out of the Orioles organization, so I hadn't met him when my the one year I was in Rochester with the Orioles, I had met him, mm-hmm. and uh, so he knew me. I sort of knew him. Learned a lot from Ray. Uh, things that I I kept in my my head, and then there's a few other things I kept in my head that I wouldn't do. What's an example of that? Well, we'll say Ray was a deep thinker. Uh, I don't think any real experience managing, but he was around baseball as a pitching coach and really knew a lot about the pitching end of it. And sometimes the running of the game was uh, different. And uh, so, you know, there was some, oh my, you know, but uh, we, uh, uh, Ray had some trouble with the front office, and uh, remember, we're sitting in Detroit inside the dugout, getting ready for the the day's work, uh, and uh, I'm sitting with Rich Stelmazic, a uh, good friend, uh, coach. He was a bullpen coach, uh, and. Uh, Andy McPhail had taken over as uh, general manager. He comes storming out from Ray's, uh, from the office there in, in uh, 
manager's office in Detroit Clubhouse. And he comes out and he stops in front of me and Steli. And uh, he says, you can't keep bitching about the players. And I'm going, Steli and I look up at him going, what the hell? What the hell was that about? And uh, a few days later, they let Ray go. And uh, as I was walking in the ballpark, living with uh, the trainer, Dick Martin, and Stel Mazik and myself were all living together. And uh, we get to the ballpark in the Metrodome, and, and uh, the media director, Tom Mee, he grabs me before I walk in. We walk in the clubhouse door, and he says, you have to come with me. So I go sit in his office. I don't know how long, and he says, he says, you just got to sit here. Tom, what's going on? And he said, uh, I think they're changing. I'm going to fire Ray, and I think you're going to be the manager. I went, what? So, uh, lo and behold, that's what happened. I went up to uh, Howard Fox's office. He was sort of the in charge of things, and at that time, he was the general manager. Uh, Andy was uh, Andy McPhail was uh, his assistant. I went up to Howard's office next, and Howard said, "Run the team." I think there was 23 games left. He said to me, "Just play the young guys," because uh, they had brought up guys from AAA to play. And uh, then I went. They took me into McPhail's office, Andy's office. Now, Andy's going to be the general manager the following year. He said to me, whatever you do, get us out of last place. Okay, so now I'm going back down to the clubhouse to try to get organized, get a lineup written, and uh, tell the coaches, you know, what's going on and, and – uh, I said to them, I said, uh, Howard Fox, who was in charge, he said, play the young guys, and Andy McPhail, who's going to be the general manager the following year, he said, get out of last place. So it's hard playing the young guys and getting out. <laughs> it was, uh, so we decided that we better do what Andy says, because right. he's going to be in charge. <laughs> so if we got any chance, we better we can get out of last place so uh, I think we did that on the last day or two of the season we did get out of last place but uh, yeah you moved up to sixth out of seven yeah, be, <laughs> and then we did what he said and yeah. uh, then there was the torment of uh, the winter we got a phone call to come to Minnesota there'd be a ticket at Newark airport and uh Fly in, and uh, you're going to do an interview, uh, which Mr. Polad was the owner of the team, and sit in, uh, in an office. They sit there all day and never got called in for an interview. And um, met a lot of different people at the bank, that's for sure. But uh, uh, I watched uh, Jim Fry go by. I watched Joe Altabelli go by. 
who I, I knew from, he was the manager in Rochester in 75, the year I played there. Yeah. So I knew him, and, and uh, he did go on to manage the Orioles really well. So, uh, But uh, I watched these different people going by, and I'm going, oh, my. And uh, finally, about 4.30 in the afternoon, I get called in, and Mr. Polad looked up and said, is there any reason Tom can't come back a different day? So I said, no, I can come back anytime and went back to New Jersey that night and uh, waited, a, I don't know how much longer, another month or so. And uh, so I ended up getting the job, but it was uh, quite an ordeal to uh, go through. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's what happened. And so that so that team so that for your first full season eighty seven you guys win the series and it's amazing because Detroit who you play in the playoffs has the best record in baseball and you guys of the four teams in the playoffs that year have the worst record but you go in and basically right off the bat Gaetti hits two home runs in his first two at bats and sets the tone for the series um, yeah. and obviously that was a team where you just had such great production out of Gary Gaetti Kent Herbeck. Kirby Puckett, Tom Bernanski, you know, Roy Smalley. And, uh, you know, you brought in Don Baylor late in the season. He hit a couple of clutch home runs. The first time you saw Kirby Puckett or the, the first time you were kind of around him, I, I had read a great anecdote where he was kind of being picked on by a few players. And I'd love to hear your story on that. Well, that was an instructional league with Kirby. Yep. Uh, he was very quiet. Roly poly guy. He wasn't the one getting picked on there. His name is Bob Mulligan. He was from Long Island. I think what happened is Kirby uh, sort of had enough of it. He finally stood up and said something. Never heard him talk much. I mean, it was uh, unusual to hear him say anything, but he had enough of it and uh, put a stop to it. Yeah. That was the end of it. But uh, Showed some leadership. That's very true. You didn't expect him to be the guy to step up because he never said anything. Right. Nothing. He was really quiet. Boy, did that change. That's funny. Once he got established in the big leagues, he, his personality really, really changed. But speaking of Kirby, he, first of all, made everybody better. Always hit the ball, the right field, the opposite field. He, he, could hit the ball, but it was always the opposite field. He, he hadn't learned how to pull the ball much and uh, hit everything the opposite way and, and up the middle, per se, which is nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember teaching him uh, a lot of time learning how to bunt for base hits because he could really run. And uh, excellent in the outfield, catch the ball with two hands and throw and you could see there was talent there, but at the time we had, uh, I think I had 30 players. Basically, we had two teams, and I'd play one team the one day and then different guys the next day trying to give everybody a, a fair shake. And uh, Bill Mazik uh, was a coach there with me. I mentioned him a lot. He said to me, 
Don't you think Kirby could play a little more? I, I well, I'm trying to be fair and uh, let everybody have an opportunity. And and uh, boy, but he sure was right uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, but uh, again, uh, that's where we first met Kirby, and and uh, of course. I remember being in a meeting in Seattle. Uh, we weren't doing well at the coaching third, and uh, we weren't doing well. Didn't have a center fielder. Did not have a center fielder. We had different guys out there. Don Washington was out there. Ronnie is still a coach for the Atlanta, doing a terrific job. Sure. But uh, the... Uh, the guy Bobby, I can't last name out, but uh, Jim Eisenreich. Yeah, and Izzy was uh, somewhat after Kirby per se, and Izzy was having some trouble. Had that one illness. Uh, yep, Tourette. him. Yeah, Tourette. Yeah. So uh, I spoke up, and and Steli spoke up that, you know, Kirby is definitely better than the guys we got playing now. And, and farm director, I remember being, he he didn't want to bring Kirby up yet and the big leagues, and, and uh, but they brought him up, and sure enough, he shows up in Anaheim. A day or two later, after Seattle, we went to Anaheim, and here he comes, and... Uh, he didn't have enough money to pay the cab fee uh, fare from the airport to the ballpark. He had to come in and get money from the uh, traveling secretary to pay the cab. And uh, first night he got, I believe, four hits. Yeah. Uh, so that he was off and running uh, after that day. But I was sure glad we spoke up for Kirby and, and – uh, I don't know if that got him to the big leagues or not uh, that day or the next day or what, but uh, went on to have a, just a Hall of Fame career. So uh, yeah, never we never stopped hitting. Fortunate to be around Kirby and uh, watch his career from day one per se, from instructional league to the big leagues. So uh, yeah, we're very very lucky and fortunate that way. And and so you guys get by that Detroit team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Gaetti is the MVP, and uh, you win four ga- uh, three ga- uh, four games to one. Um, you play St. Louis. Gladden hits the grand slam in in game one that just kind of opens up that game. Um, and then and then famously, you know, the series goes back and forth. It's game six. It's a tight game. And Herbeck, who's not been playing well in this or not been hitting well in the series, he hits a grand slam that just, you know, obviously ended the game, you know, basically ended the game um, and sets up a game seven. What was what was the feeling on the bench when he hit that? Oh, the, the dome was uh, just so loud. It was just unbelievable. You couldn't hear. You had a, somebody next to you. You had to scream into their ear. Remember in the bullpen, uh, we had a phone, and I heard of Mr. Stelmazic again. But uh, when he called the bullpen to get a pitcher going or something down there, a, a reliever going, he 
he had to have his hand on the phone, and if it vibrated, he knew it was ringing because you couldn't hear. Right. But uh, I think, uh, as you pointed out, we beat the Tigers, and the Tigers were obviously favored to beat us, that's for sure. And uh, they were loaded, and of course, Sparky Anderson's the manager, and so we're sort of up against it. Uh, but uh, the last month of the season, uh, September, uh, we've started playing pretty damn good. I mean, the guys played really good. Uh, Gagne, shortstop, and oh, it was go on and on. Lombardozzi played good, and we had Al Newman, a utility player. The guys were, whatever their roles were, were playing good. And, and one of the better stories I have is uh, it was the last game in the Dome, and we then we were going on a seven-day trip to Texas and Kansas City to end the season. And on that last day, uh, Monday afternoon and Bly Levin's pitching. I think I walked down about 20 minutes before the game time on them steps. And the place was just about full, and and uh, the noise they were making, and I was going, oh, my goodness, this is something. So, mm-hmm. uh, you got your first taste, really, uh, remember that last Sunday in Minneapolis uh, at the Dome that uh, really started to set the tone. We were uh, won the division, and uh, so we were able to, uh, while we were in Kansas City, just get things organized for the playoff. And we didn't know who we were going to play, Toronto or, or, or uh, Detroit, because they, they battled right to the end as well. Sure. And, uh, of course, Detroit won, but uh, we ended up playing really good, uh, in Detroit, and like you pointed out, uh, you know they, they had Doyle Alexander and of course uh, Jack Morris, and they, whew, they had Hernandez at the end, uh, the closer. He was really tough, and uh, they, you know, a lot of veteran guys and Whitaker and Trammell and Gibson Evans, and, and on and on. They were Chet Lemon. Oof. So uh, we played really well, and uh, uh, then with the game we did lose uh, in Detroit, uh, we played really well and uh, did have the lead. We hit a home run uh, towards the end of the game to uh, win, but uh, yeah, Pat Sheridan. Yeah, but uh, they. Uh, uh, when we came out the next day and, and had another really good game and, and really hit the ball all over the park and and uh, pitched good enough. I remember Bly Levin pitched uh, four, maybe five innings. He was getting a little shaky, and we went to the bullpen and and uh, were able to get it done. But, uh, uh, of course, with Reardon, closer, finishing it up. But... Uh, it was quite the uh, event, and uh, we went on and, of course, uh, played the Cardinals, and, and uh, that was so much back and forth. Uh, 
We won at the Dome. They won in St. Louis. And the last two games, uh, of course, were uh, very memorable. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, Herbeck's grand slam off Daly, who was really good left-hand reliever. Uh, at that, uh, that swing and, and him going around the bases was uh, – memorable moment for uh everybody here up in the midwest no question oh yeah it's certainly the most iconic moment i can think of you know from that from that series yeah it was a big one that's for sure but uh and, and then the it was uh quite the herbeck was uh like you said he was struggling some and and uh he he he, he that morning he comes in, he gets to the ballpark. I forget what time the game started, but he comes in and I said, how you been doing? He says, I was hunting all morning. I went out hunting with some of my buddies. He said, Jesus, okay. That worked. But uh, that was interesting. But uh, again, it was uh, quite a memorable moment for the upper Midwest and, and twin supporters. So it was a, uh, an awful lot of good times in in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. So, oh, yeah. uh, again, uh, very fortunate for me to be in the right spot, have them players come through, uh, play in the big leagues, play in the World Series, and perform as well as they did. So it was uh, really rewarding for I think everybody. Yeah, and and then and then a couple years go by where the A's have, you know, a great team and they're, you know, kind of going to the series a couple of years in a row and winning one. And at one point you trade the star of the 87 world series, Frank Viola, yeah. you get from the Mets, Kevin Tapani and Rick Aguilera, who 91 comes around. You're coming off of a season where you guys were in last place, as was right. famously the two last to first teams meet in the world series. Tapani and Aguilera, you guys move Aguilera, who had been a starter on the 86 World Series team for the Mets. You guys make an inspired decision to put him in the bullpen. Yeah. He becomes, you know, the the ace closer for you. And then, oh, by the way, Scott Erickson and Jack Morris, along with Tapani, form a great one, two, three starting rotation. And that 91 team at one point during the season goes on a 15 game win streak. And yeah, you move I screwed him. that up. <laughs> well, I made a mistake. How so? I, uh, I, we lose that game in Baltimore. We got the lead. I got to bring Aggie in, and man, I'm second. And I intentionally walked Ripken, the first baseman, come up after. Aggie throws him two split fingers that uh, Superman can't hit. I mean, uh, just too nasty. Boom, boom. And the next one, he sort of hung it and got it hit off the damn wall out there, and we get beat. Mm. I went, oh. And that's when I decided I will never have my closer intentionally walk anybody ever again. I never did it again after that because I, I thought my closer is my guy. He's better than anybody, and 
he doesn't get them out, well, then that's the way it is. You know, that was one of them things I sort of had to live with. But uh, we, <laughs> yeah, the 15 in a row was uh, quite impressive. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, it moves you from fifth to first, and then you stay in first the rest of the season. Um, and yet you beat them four games to one. Um, right. And then, and now you're facing Atlanta, and this sets up, um, it sets up, you know, one of the best world series well the best world series of all time um where arguably but yeah boston and uh boston and cincinnati was quite the event yeah 75 75 yeah yeah, yeah. um but i i, I want all the rain out yeah Go ahead. that's right so obviously there you know there are some unbelievable moments in in the in the 91 world series but in um in game six when Kirby makes that catch earlier in the game against the plexiglass and then, and then hits the home run in the um, in the 11th to end it. And, you know, obviously Jack Buck famously says see you uh, tomorrow night. Yeah. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Um, that game. I mean, the, 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 the deafening sound when he hit that yeah. ball. That was uh, unbelievable. And, and I think he had, he and Shane Mack were talking on the bench and he, or no, I'm sorry. He and Chili Davis are talking on the bench, and he says something like, when he's about to go up to bat, I think I'm going to try to bunt to get on. And Chili says to him, you know, don't hit a bunt. You know, hit a damn home run. Let's get out of this place. Let's get home. Yeah. yeah. No, they were in the on-deck circle, actually. And Irving uh, dropped a bunt. I was going to drop the bunt on um, Charlie LeBrant. And... Uh, Charlie was throwing a lot of off-speed stuff at the time, and uh, Kirby was able to put a. I think he threw a high change, and it was up in the zone, and Kirby got a real good swing at it, and of course sent us to tomorrow night, which was uh, oh boy, was it loud! I, I remember uh, Knobloch, our real good second baseman. Uh, he's he was jumping up and down. I was, I was so worried about him. He was so excited. It was uh, scary. And I remember trying to calm him down. We got to play again tomorrow. Kirby was fine. He got to the dugout. He looked a little worn out, but he, you know, I remember uh, he gave me, gave me the bear hug, or I gave him the hug, and. And I remember telling him we got to do it one more time. And uh, he says, I got it. I'm all right. And uh, I remember Knobloch. I, ooh, that was a challenge, uh, trying to calm him down. But Chuck was, uh, ended up being a terrific player for us over the years. But uh, yeah, uh, again, the there was a lot of stuff going on. And, of course, uh, Jack Morris, he was ready to pitch uh after the last out he was ready to go but uh, uh he you know it was a uh, quite an event uh and the drama that uh followed the game you know oh boy the guys were excited and i was really worried that we maybe too much emotion find some more for tomorrow but uh and uh, Jack, uh, he responded by, and of course, uh, Mr. Smoltz pitched uh, 
just as well. And uh, so it was two uh, classy pitchers out there pitching game seven, and uh, nobody knew how to score a run. But uh, yeah. finally and, we etched one out. And that eighth inning where oh, gosh. Lonnie Smith gets on base, mm. and Pendleton hits, hits a shot to center, and Knobloch, who the night before was so amped up that you were concerned about him, he makes a great little kind of fake where it looks like he's, you know, receiving the ball at second, which slows Smith down just enough that even though he advanced to third, he couldn't get home. And then, and then, and then you guys load up the bases and then get Gant on kind of a weak grounder. And then you get one of the rarest double plays you'll ever get a three, two, three double play. And, and Lonnie Smith can never get home from third and you get out of the inning without giving up a run, which you yeah. watch a replay and it's just impossible to imagine. I mean, the odds must've been 3% that they. <laughs> well, the, the big decision there was, uh, uh, justice, uh, of course, who was terrific. He was really swinging well. And, and, uh, they had, uh, I believe second and third. I went out to the mound and, and, uh, said to Jack, I said, Jack, I, I want to get your feeling but I really think we should uh walk here justice and Sid Bream was up next and uh so we walked justice and and uh Sid Bream Jack threw one of them split finger things and of course he rolled it over to first as you pointed out and uh Herbeck fired a perfect strike to Brian Harper and and Brian returned a perfect throw to Mr. Herbeck at first, and uh, one of the plays in in the game you don't see very, very often, but uh, I will say it's one that we do practice. Uh, We did practice uh, in spring training Hmm. many months beforehand, but uh, sometimes when you practice these things, they kick in, and and, the boys did a terrific Terrific play and, and executed it. We got out of the inning, and, and uh, that's when you think you got a chance to win. That's for sure. Yeah, and so and so we the did game... have a chance, but we didn't score. Unbelievable! It was just unbelievable. Yeah, and then and then just you know one of these iconic you know kind of scenes, iconic moments. After nine innings, it's still zero zero. Game seven. Yeah, I mean, couldn't be higher. Jack Morris, obviously, as fiery competitor as there is in the game. And you go over to talk to him. Tell me a little bit about that conversation. Because yeah. there's all kinds uh, of. Well, there's, there's numerous versions. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know there's different people have different versions. And all I can tell you is my version, which I know is correct. That's it. And Jack, that was the third start in 10 days, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh man just pitched nine innings. How much more do you expect him to pitch? You know, got Aggie, Aguilera's down there. He's ready to go. And I know he can pitch a couple innings. That's for sure. Sure. And uh I thought that might be enough. Uh, I just didn't know how much you should expect. And, uh, Looked down at him, and he looked up at me with those puppy dog eyes, and and uh, he said uh, he sort of shrugged, and and the 
Dick Such, our pitching coach, he, I'm standing right there in front of Jack, and he come over and said, PK, he's okay to go. He can go back out there. And uh, Jack says, I'm fine. I said, okay, it's just a game. Go ahead. So <laughs> I guess I wanted to hear it from him. You know, I, I guess I needed to hear it from him. Uh, I thought I was thinking that the guy's pitching a game of his life. Who am I to take him out? You know, but, Right. On the other end of it, you've got a responsibility to a lot of people, what you do down there, and, and uh, just how much you think he can pitch. You know? Yeah. I'm glad we decided, and I'm glad he looked up and said, I'm okay. And uh, actually, the 10th inning, he went out, and I think he threw seven or eight pitches, and that was probably the easiest inning he had the, yeah. the whole game. Yeah. And after he came in from the 10th, I, I didn't even look at him anymore. I just uh, leave him alone, you know. <laughs> so we had every intention, if we didn't score, that he was going to go back out there for another one. So uh, it was uh, quite the yeoman's then, effort, to say the least. Yeah. And then Gladden leads off and, yeah. and gets to second. But what's what's the thinking on the bench when he's well, at Well, he, he blooped. He... he he got jammed up and, and sort of blooped one over shortstop in the short left central and ball hit the turf and bounced up and, and he hustled and got in the second. So that immediately changed the inning. Uh, then we, uh, Chuck uh, was up next and Chuck uh, laid down a perfect bun, advanced him to third. And then they walked uh, both Kirby, and Kirby and Herbeck, I believe. Yep, that's right. And uh, we had one bullet left over there, and there's Gene Larkin, who had a little bit of a bum knee, but Gino uh, was a real solid utility guy. Play first, and you could put him at third, but I wouldn't if you didn't have to. But uh, uh, Gino was sitting there. Well, he was he was in the runway actually swinging, and uh, I know he was chomping at the bit to get in the game. And I just walked over that way and uh, looked at him, and he come charging out of there. And uh, of course, got the uh, pitch to handle and got it out there to central uh, left center field to to win the game. But uh, uh, he was ready to go. That was for sure. But uh, yeah. Uh, it was quite the moment, uh, obviously. Uh, but uh, the uh, you know when Danny Gladden hit the flare to left center and the ball bounced high and he kept going and made it to second. Uh, you know your mind now you you click into okay we gonna bunt and what are we gonna do here? So yeah, you know when you got Puckett and Herbeck coming up. Uh, and Bobby decided to walk those two, and that was probably correct. And uh, uh, and we got Gino in the right spot to to get it done, but uh, sort of fell in place for us. Uh, four and one run was uh, seemed like a miracle. Uh, yeah, 
it's amazing how sometimes runs just come so easily. And sometimes it's like, what is it going to take to get one guy across the plate? That's what was going through my head uh, from, oh, from the fifth inning on or so. I said, geez, we've got to figure out how to score a run. My goodness. And we tried different things along the way. Nothing seemed to work. I bunted, I hit and run, didn't work. Nothing seemed to work out. But uh, uh, eventually the boys uh, got the thing done. So uh, I remember Amazing. leaving, going to the ballpark that day. I, I remember saying a little prayer, let, let the boys decide who's going to win or lose. And, and uh, you're like to stay out of the way here. That didn't work because uh, we ended up making a whole bunch of decisions in that game, and, and uh, finally uh, the only one that really worked well the two and left left Jack in the game, and, and of course having Gino sitting there ready to go and finding the finally getting to the right spot for him. Yeah, and it I love- worked out, but quite, it's quite the event. There's no question. Yeah, and I love the fact that it's Larkin who has that hit because of the two teams, 87 and 91, obviously Herbeck and Puckett are the two, you know, big stars. Gladden and Gagne, great, you know, starters, you know, really just clutch guys. And then the other of the seven guys who are on both teams, three are utility guys who are just like guys who know their moment. Randy Bush, Al Newman, and Gene Larkin. And, you know, one of them steps up and delivers right when you need them. Yeah, they like you pointed out. They all were terrific in their roles and, and what they contributed to the team. So, uh, you know, all got special places in my heart. That's for sure. And uh, and then the Twins organization. So, still get to talk to Randy Bush quite a bit, and he calls every oh, he calls once a month or so, and, and checking on me, and and uh, still real friendly with Herbeck and. And uh, Loudner, they both live here in, in uh, Minnesota, in the area. And uh, so it's uh, Newman, see Al once in a while. So it's uh, it's it's all good uh, being able to touch base with uh, a lot of the guys. So it's it's uh, quite a group of uh, classy uh, individuals. So there's no question about it. That's awesome. That's great. Okay, well, Tom Kelly, I have to tell you, it's been so great having you come on and and you know kind of talk about your career, you know, working your way up through the minors into the Twins organization, and then and then your 16 years of managing, obviously two World Series championships, and you know one of them, the '91, standing out as one of the you know top World Series of all time. And the one thing I always you know observing your teams, it always seemed like the team had like the everything in the proper context, like the proper perspective. And I, I saw a quote of yours that I think, you know, kind of sums that up in training camp. You'd pull the guys together and you'd say, look out at that traffic, see those people driving to go to work and then think about what we're doing here. It's almost sinful. It's quite a thing to be able to walk out there on the field. It's a really special thing to be a baseball player. I thought that kind of encapsulated, you know, kind of the mindset so well. Well, sometimes players, no fault of their own, but uh, sometimes lose sight of uh, how they got to where they're at and and uh, their upbringing and how they were brought up and the sacrifices uh, parents and 
family members had to make to get them to the ballpark and, and allow them the opportunity to play. And, and uh, so we always try to, every once in a while, is uh, find, find something that we can use to uh, remind people of just what's going on in the world and and uh, how lucky we all were to be part of uh, a game. And of course, the game's played by uh, men, but uh, it's uh, a kid's game, and uh, we're just older playing it. And uh, so we periodically would try to throw something at them to try to remind them that uh, get where we came from and and what some other people are going through and and make a living and, and uh, how fortunate we are to be able to play this uh, kids game at this level. So, yeah, yeah, we did that every so often. I think a lot of managers do, but, uh, and they're just simple reminders, but the uh, classier, the player you have on your team, uh, the easier the job becomes. Sure. Sure. Well, you certainly had that on that team, on those teams. Um, well, again, Tom Kelly, thank you so much for coming on Chasing Hardware. It's It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome, and I enjoyed it. I hope I was uh, entertaining for your listeners. Uh, it was it was great. I could listen to this stuff all day. <laughs> Thanks again, Tom. Take care. All right. Okay. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Life is like life. Life is like life. Life is Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.